The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Let's do it. Phone lines are wide open. You've got questions. We've got answers. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to the broadcast. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you. The number to call with any question of any kind that relates in any way to anything we've ever talked about on the line of fire. Sometimes the comments of those watching online, they, they get pretty heated, pretty intense. Give me a call. Tell me why you have a difference. Ask me the question that you're burning to ask. 866-348-7884. For everyone watching on live stream, yeah, we were flooded with comments on YouTube and Facebook yesterday saying no audio, no audio. And the fact that I was telling you, yeah, we're having a problem with no audio unless you're a lip reader, you did not know that. So our apologies for that couple little glitches we have addressed. So Wonderful to have this time together. Phone lines are open, and we start off. Let's go to Raleigh, North Carolina. Joe, you are on the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Thank you so much for taking my call. I appreciate it. Sure thing. Um, I had a question. I was listening to a sermon from a pastor, and he was discussing Beni Elohim, the sons of God is what he was calling it. Yeah, B'nai Elohim. Yeah. B'nai Elohim. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. B'nai Elohim. And he, he mentioned Genesis 6 and Job and Deuteronomy and Psalms, where it's been mentioned. And he was saying they are the sons of God. And he started out by saying, you all are going to you know, burn me at a stake for heresy, but I'm about to say, did Jesus have any brothers? And the answer is going to be yes. These are the sons of God. And it kind of, it, A, it didn't sit well with me, but I don't want to reject anything either that I'm ignorant to. Ignorance isn't bliss. So I wanted to get your take on it. it it's mostly the Old Testament. It's all Hebrew, and you're my source. Yes, so. well, thanks. And by the way, the, the only reason that I corrected the Hebrew was just because it's often mispronounced and uh, you know, with foreign languages, when any of us read them or hear them, sometimes the pastor says it wrong. So just for the benefit of, of everyone listening, I didn't mean to be rude by correcting the Hebrew, but that's how oh, you heard right. it. Right, right. So I just, for everyone's sake, just wanted that to be clear. So the idea that Jesus has brothers or that the angels, the B'nai Elohim, the sons of God or the divine being are brothers, that's a concept not found in the Bible. We have become his brothers and his sisters. We are joint heirs with him and part of his family. And, and Hebrews 2 says he's not ashamed to call us brothers, but he is uniquely set apart because he is an uncreated being. He is the eternal son who proceeds forth from the father. So in that sense, no, it's not that he is the son of God and they are other sons of God and therefore brothers. And I don't, I don't know why the pastor would say that. In other words, how that helps, what, what edification we get from that, what we learn from it. The fact that we have become his brothers. He's our Lord. He's our master. He's also our friend and he's our brother. He's the elder brother. And we are now being conformed to his likeness. What's it say in Romans eight, that he may be the firstborn among many brothers. So we're the ones called brothers and sisters with him and brothers uniquely in, in that relationship. 
And that, that's amazing. That gives us an insight and understanding of what we're being raised up to be and conformed to be and like him and joint heirs with him as brothers and sisters of the Messiah, the Son of God. That's wonderful, glorious, edifying, life-changing. To say that he had brothers, namely the angels, no. That in, in Hebrew, a son of something means someone who possesses a particular thing or has a particular nature. For example, Judas in, in the New Testament, Jesus refers to him as the son of perdition. In other words, the one doomed to destruction, the one marked by this characteristic. So, B'nai Elohim, so these are ones who are created by God, but they share in the heavenly nature. That's the whole point of it. Jesus is uniquely set apart as the one and only son of God, who Hebrews 1 says is distinct from the angels. So he doesn't take on the nature of angels. He takes on the nature of human beings and we become his brothers. So unless the pastor's trying to say, hey, God created angels too, and they're his sons in a certain way, and Jesus wasn't alone. Again, I don't get, get the point of that. Jesus is not created, and he was not a brother with these. So I, it baffles me why he would say that. And there's certainly no scriptural concept that, say, Michael or Gabriel looked at the son as a brother or an older brother. They looked at him as their creator and Lord. So don't know why he would say yeah, it or what his that. point would be. Yeah. Well, he separated angels from from the sons of God and said they weren't the same. Oh, and no, 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 they, cer was... they certainly are. They're certainly angels. Okay. And, yeah. and I think that's where the disconnect starts because he was talking about, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, I apologize, the right. Nephilim yeah, and how yeah, God has yeah. appointed uh, different demonic entities possibly for different parts of the world or different cities or different states. And then when we kick Christ out, that vacuum is going to get filled by something. And that vacuum is normally it's filled by evil if you don't have God there. And these sons of God could be filling those roles, or I, I don't know. It kind of went off the rails in my mind. Or I, right, so he, and he I might really have read, understand from you. Yeah, he might have read some of the things of Dr. Michael Heiser, Unseen Realm, and then gotten some wrong deductions from it, or just missed the point. So B'nai Elohim, the sons of God in Genesis 6, it most likely refers to fallen angels who then are able to take on human form and literally take wives for themselves and, and produce the, these, the offspring, which ultimately becomes a monstrous thing to be, to be wiped out. Some argue it just means the godly line of Seth intermarried with the ungodly line of Cain. I find that unlikely. In Job, the sons of God are absolutely angels. There's no question about that. There's, there's no dispute on that. And the whole argument that there are uh, angels that are appointed over at different places, so Deuteronomy 32, and then reflected in, say, Daniel 10, where you have Michael is battling with the prince of Persia. Yeah, there, there could be angelic beings that are regional rulers, and some are fallen and some are righteous. That could be argued. Again, it's, you don't want to go too far with it, because the Bible only gives us limited information and just tells us in right. general that we're in spiritual warfare against the devil. But I don't know why... All of that could not be taught by simply saying, look, this is a dark world. When the light shines, the darkness is dispelled. When the, dark, when, the, when the light goes off, the darkness swarms again. Or to simply say that Satan is roaming around the earth, 1 Peter 5, uh, 8 and 9, he's roaming around the earth looking for those he can destroy. And if we open the door, he's going to come in. If we shut the door, we push him back to get into kind of a, 
you know, even, even if what your pastor said, if you're accurately representing it, which is, which is not accurate biblically. I might not, not be. Yeah, but, yeah. but even, let's assume you are. Uh, I just always try to give the benefit of that, but let's assume you are. Nowhere does, God, does the word say that God appoints demons, God himself appoints demons over certain regions, uh, and that if we are, are not there in our presence or, quote, Christ is kicked out, that then those demons take over. Nowhere does scripture say that God appointed demons over regions, but I don't even need that teaching. I understand there are demons looking to take ground, and I understand that the kingdom of God is pushing them back. And if, and if the kingdom of God is removed from an area be, because of the influence of the gospel mm-hmm. in Christian people, then of course darkness is going to swarm. So it doesn't, it doesn't even tell me anything. Aside from being unscriptural, it doesn't even tell me anything I don't know. The word that I couldn't preach right. without all of that. So anyway, hopefully um, he'll, he'll get that straightened out. And thank you for calling in, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you. All thank right. You. you bet. 866-348-7884. Let's go to Kenneth in Louisiana. Welcome to the line of fire. How are you today, uh, Dr. Brown? Doing very well. Thank you. I wanted to try to maybe shed some light with your audience. Uh, I'm a Christian author myself, and my most recent book titled Wormwood, I I teach in it about some of these ancient gods, which Mm -hmm. are actually dark spirits that are working and operating in our days. And one of those dark spirits is actually very well known to both the ancient Roman and ancient Egyptian empire. And that demon uh, was well known, and that demon's name was Scotus. And of course, uh, most of your audience should know that is the well-known acronym used by the Supreme Court of the United States. And what I state in the book is uh, people in these days have turned power back onto, uh, given power back to these dark spirits. Scotus was known as, uh, it was an ancient pagan god, but he was also considered a spirit of darkness that overshadowed an empire before its fall. It was actually responsible for the fall of uh, the Roman Empire and the Egyptian Empire. When you say it was responsible, right, just to, so uh, Jonathan Kahn's book, Return of the Gods, deals with certain things about ancient deities that were worshipped, which are obviously uh, demonic powers. Uh, my book, Jezebel's War with America, said the same demonic spirits that were at work through uh, Jezebel 3,000 years ago are at work again today and pronounced in clear ways. So in that sense, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, and as, as far as the actual name Scotus, we'll come back to that in a moment. But when you say, like, how would you know as a historian, if someone's trying to re- recount what happened in history, how would you know? that a particular spirit was actually, quote, responsible for the downfall of an empire. How would you determine that historically? Uh, it, it's written in a lot of the historical books. Uh, that's how I did my re- research, is just on some of the ancient Greek mythology. And again, that's what they want people to believe. They are, they're trying to get people to believe that a lot of these, what they consider Greek mythology, is just that, just mythology. But if you go to Revelation 9-11, you'll see that Abaddon's Greek name is Apollyon. And, of course, I put all this in my books. So Apollyon, uh, who comes out of the bottomless pit, 
uh, if you do your research with that spirit, that uh, the the destroyer, he was also called the spirit of destruction. He had a son, and his name, and, and this goes into the Greek mythology aspect of it. His son's name was Asclepius. Well, the human wife. What I argue in the book is that. Apollyon was one of the fallen angels from Genesis 6 that took a wife for himself. And in the Greek mythology, he actually took the wife whose name was Princess Corona. And she was the princess of the Thessalonians. And that's why you have the two letters written to the Thessalonians by Paul. And that was the letters warning the Thessalonians about their worship of these ancient fallen angels, these these dark spirits, and their nephilim offspring. Yeah, I've, I've just gotta I've just gotta jump in here. We're out of time, but just want to let you speak. So check out the book Wormwood. Yes, Scotus, primordial primordial guard of dark, darkness in Rome, equivalent to the Greek god Erebus. Of course, does that have a connection to Scotus today? We'll see. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Joining us on the Line of Fire, Michael Brown. Blessed, delighted to be with you. Do you have my app? Have you downloaded it? If not, get a second. Download it at Apple or Google, Android. Ask Dr. Brown Ministries, ask dr brown ministries make sure you put in ministries on the android one ask dr brown ministries and and then once you get it then scroll around because you scroll down you consider this those are our five six minute animated videos that are awesome to share or real messiah our jewish outreach that are talks with scholars some uh, interviews i did with some biblical and scholars and different ones or and then, of course, all the radio broadcasts are archived right there. The articles are archived. Just search. Like, I'm wondering if you ever talked about this subject. Search for it. App's there for you. Ask Dr. Brown Ministries. 866-348-7884. I'm going back to the phones momentarily. I just want to make a couple of comments about the call that just came in. So we know there's all this ancient mythology and this God coming down into earth in human form and having sex with a woman and having this offspring or this one is actually a deity and so on. So the question is always how much of that reflects demonic activity? How much of that reflects a satanic deception where, where people are believing all kinds of myths and lies and things? Um, how much is just some historical account which is now transformed into some mythology, but Paul does tell us in 1 Corinthians 10 that, that the gods that the pagans worship are actually demons. They, they, are, they have power, but it is demonic power. It is not light, it is not truth. And Asclepios, I, I, I studied a lot, not the mythological origins, but Asclepios was the famous healing deity in the Greco-Roman world. And, and he was also known as Soter, savior, because saving, healing, they were all considered inter interchangeable uh, concepts, overlapping concepts. And, and Jesus, as the great healing deity, displaced Asclepios. And there are scholars who said if there was not healing ministry associated with Jesus, they would not have eclipsed Asclepios because of the alleged healing prowess that was associated with this deity, this false god, which is actually demonically empowered. Now, 
when you want to get into an actual name, SCOTUS, and that's the acronym for the Supreme Court, should you make something out of it? Is it demons controlling the Supreme Court? That's obviously the, the, the jump, which is the, and I'm not saying our caller was saying that and the, the author was saying that. Uh, look, there are many words that have one meaning in one language and are profanity in another, in another, the same syllables, the same sounds. Perfectly fine in one means something else. Or, you know, you have a, what was the Scottish, um, Scottish Christian leader, Scotus was his last name. So, you know, you can't make anything out of that. It's, of course, very interesting. But to say that the Supreme Court is under demonic powers, demons that overturn Roe v. Wade, obviously that's not the argument that is being made. But it is very interesting when you look at ancient mythologies and realize the demonic deception behind it. Um, very interesting to see how these things unfold. All right, we go back to the phones. Uh, let's see. Uh, we go to Willie in Kentucky. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Thanks, Dr. Brown. I appreciate everything you do. I actually get a lot of, uh, actually get a lot of schooling from you. I listen to you about every day. And, uh, so, uh, I got the question I've got is James, the gospel or the book of James actually, mm -hmm. uh, chronologically, like it was written first, right? Like 50 AD, maybe. Uh, before the Gospels was written, and yeah. I'd always heard that that book was actually James was actually talking to like new believers and telling them, you know, pretty much how to how to use their tongue, pretty much just everyday life, how to live a good, clean life. And I was and I was talking to a guy, and he said, "Well, it had to have been after the Gospels because you know how could that have been? Uh, you know how could they have told about Jesus and the resurrection?" And I'm like, "Well, I don't know about that. I had thought I'd ask you." Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's definitely one of the early books. Uh, all, virtually all the letters were written before the Gospels were written. But first thing is, people came to know the Lord. He died, rose from the dead. They were born again. They were following him. They knew about it. They were preaching to others. So by the time he's writing, somewhere between 45 and 49 AD, uh, but by, by the time he's writing, the message of, of Jesus Yeshua has been preached now for 15, 20 years. People have heard it. Right. They know the story. And remember, this is an oral culture. This is a culture that learns most things orally and by memory, not by writing and reading. So uh, I was talking to a colleague about this last night. If, if you ask me, give me all the cell phone numbers that you know that I've memorized right now. I have my number and I have my wife's number. I don't know. I t off the top of my head, I don't know anybody else's numbers if I have to call them because I just press speed dial here or whatever. Now, when I was in my, in my drug days, so over 50 years ago as a drug user, I was famous for every person I met that if I had, what's your number? They told me I had everybody's phone numbers memorized. And, and to this day, I can remember more phone numbers of growing up, my family, kids, or when I first met Nancy, all these old phone numbers, and I don't know the current ones because we don't use it. So the, the, the message of the gospel was being passed on 10, 15, 20 years orally, people hearing it. And think of this, you get born again, you start telling your family, other family members get saved. Maybe seven people have gotten saved before they've even read the Bible yet because they heard from you, they went to a church service, they heard, so it's the same in the ancient world. Everyone's hearing the message, the message is circulating widely. And, and they're hearing it, getting born again. 
And we don't know how much was even being circulated. There may have been other teaching put in writing here and there. The Gospels themselves written down later. And, and James, actually Jacob in Greek, he's writing to Jewish believers. So these are Jews who've come to faith. He's writing to them, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad and giving them teaching about, uh, about obedience to God and Torah and what it means now uh, through life in Jesus, the Messiah. So yeah, they were absolutely very familiar with the message. It had been preached, taught in many, many different forms. And the fact that the gospels weren't written didn't mean that the gospel message was not getting out loudly and clearly for many years. All right. Awesome. Thank you very much. You are very, very welcome. 866-348-7884. Often this doesn't happen on Friday, but we've got a couple phone lines open right now. So if you want to get in, we'll definitely be able to get to you before the end of the broadcast. Let's go to Brian in Fort Worth, Texas, probably miles from where I sit right now in Fort Worth. Go ahead. Hey, how you doing, Dr. Brown? Doing great. Hey, my question is, so it's more along the lines of God's goodness, and I feel like, I know I have, and I feel like the church often confuses goodness with righteousness, and so we're often taught anything bad is of Satan and not God, and we insert the verb or adjective, God would never cause this, so sickness or uh, some sort of disaster, but I don't read that in the scripture. I don't find that consistent with what I read. So, you know, we have examples of the Lord giving Miriam leprosy in Numbers 12, and he says he'll create well-being and create calamity in Isaiah 45, and I will turn feast in the morning in Amos. If calamity comes on a city, did not the Lord cause it in Amos 3? And then even Jesus himself said he would throw prophets on his sickbed in Revelation 2. So why do we only associate God with goodness when there is some things that we would deem evil, evil that come about from him? Because if he's a sovereign God, he may not directly cause these things, every single thing. Now, we've read that he does cause some things, but he doesn't cause everything. So if he's sovereign, he has a hand in it, or at least he knows about it enough to where it's permissible for him. Yeah, well, let, let's look at the things that you quoted explicitly, and then I could multiply them by the dozens as well, especially in the Old Testament, but in, in the New as well, that things that God takes responsibility for as sending and doing. None of them are evil. None of them are ever evil. But absolutely, they may be things that are calamitous. They may be things that are destructive. They, they may be things that bring pain. So what's happened is basically we've had a, a, a pendulum swing. There was a mentality among many that whatever happens to you must be God's will and that God delights in making people sick, that he, days of healing are over, that every bad thing that happens in your life, well, this must be the will of God. And the pendulum swung to say, actually, God revealed his nature through Jesus who healed all who came to him and God's desire is to bless, not to curse. And the pendulum swings too far to the point that the first book that I wrote, which we put out in a new edition a couple of years ago, Compassionate Father or Consuming Fire, Who is the God of the Old Testament? I wrote it back in 85 to try to bring correction in the Word of Faith camp that rejected the very things that you were bringing up, that would try to find a way around those verses. Or they'd say, well, no, God would never actually actively send any of this. He would just uh, allow it, etc. And they try to create Hebrew nuances that didn't exist. 
So here's the bottom line. Everything God does is perfectly good and perfectly righteous. There's never evil. There's never taint of darkness whatsoever. And he has revealed his will in scripture, which is to bless his people, not to curse. In other words, you could say that his ideal will for his obedient children is that we're blessed, that we're healthy, that we're thriving. However, we understand that there are many things that happen in this world that are different than what we think is for the best and that God's judgments themselves are good. In other words, the destruction of the wicked is the salvation of the righteous. So God will never murder someone, but he might put someone to death because of sin. God will never take delight in smiting, but the smiting might be the very way to bring someone to healing or to repentance. So everything he does is good and righteous, but many of the things elves do not strike us as nice or favorable or positive. The book I wrote, Compassionate Father at Consuming Fire, make sure you get the new edition. That'll help sort this out. But Brian, the pendulum sw swung too far. We need to bring it to a biblical balance. Thank you, sir, for the question. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back, friends, to The Line of Fire. Hey, just a shout out to all of our faithful supporters, our, our torchbearers, our monthly supporters. It's from the backbone of our ministry. Thank you so much. Standing with us a dollar a day or more per month. You help us do so much of what we do, really give wings to the, to the things that God's spoken and called us to do. Others that, that support with one-time gifts, thank you. Everyone who prays for us, thank you. you. You help put wind in our sails to give you another analogy and, and enable us to touch so many lives so effectively. And I can say this, I live in total spiritual battle, in a sense, day and night, in that there are always attacks, always assaults, coming from every imaginable angle. And I live a blessed life. I don't live a harassed life. I don't live a life where I'm constantly beaten down, discouraged. And I know a major reason is prayer support and people standing with us. I know that's a major reason. It's not just my calling and the grace that comes with that calling, but there's a lot of prayer support. So thank you. Thank you all so much. I wanna make another comment just on the heels of the call that we got. I do not personally look at everything that happens in the world, every situation, and, and attribute it to the will of God. Because he has given us freedom of choice. Obviously, there are only certain things. We have parameters in terms of what we're able to choose or not choose. But we have freedom of choice, freedom of self-determination. God has not determined that every event, as I read scripture, he has not determined that every single event that happens is he explicitly ordained. If you're playing a game of chess that he ordained each chess move that you made. If, if you're, you're going to charge some of the credit card, he ordained that you pulled out one credit card versus another credit card. If you're brushing your hair and missed a hair that he ordained that you missed. I do not read scripture saying that at all. In fact, I see many things in scripture where God says, I, I had nothing to do with that. I was absolutely not my plan for you. This is not what I wanted. Or even Jesus weeping over Jerusalem and speaking to the leadership, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you weren't willing. I was willing, you weren't willing. 
or uh, the end of Romans 10, quoting from, uh, from the book of Isaiah, all day long I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient, rebellious people. God said, I'm willing, you weren't willing. So the many things that happen in this world that actually grieve God, they grieve his heart. And Jesus gives articulation to that by weeping over these things. It's not that he's powerless, he has all power, but he is determined to give us certain freedom. And there's even certain freedom with which spiritual beings operate because of which there are various consequences so I don't look at everything that happens and just say, well, God ordained that. However, I know as a believer, my life is fully in his hands. And if I, if I am not playing games with sin and playing games with the devil and opening up my life to, to destruction, then I'm absolutely trusting God. My life belongs to you. My family belongs to you. We're given over to you. And I'm not just saying, well, the devil can just come in and sweep in and take anything and do anything. No, he doesn't have that kind of power. Uh, John Kilpatrick, the pastor at Brownsville Assembly during the revival, used to say that in our lives, everything is father filtered. That's a good way of looking at it. But if I, if I come down sick, I don't say, God, why did you send the sickness on me? I think, okay, did I get run down? Did I allow something to happen? Is it just I was around people, they all had a cold, I caught a cold, whatever. But I asked for healing and I do my best to, to, to get healthy as quickly as I can rather than say, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me through the sickness? I'm not attributing everything that happens to the hand of God. And I'm saying he's revealed himself as healer. He's revealed himself as forgiver. He's revealed himself in his goodness. But many times he will bring us through certain things that don't feel good to us at all, but they are for our eternal good. They are for our eternal good. And that's where we just trust him. I don't understand this. I don't know why this happened. It's very painful. It's very difficult, but I trust you and honor you. And as we do, he will bring it out. Ultimately, he will bring it out for good. Uh, let's go to uh, Kevin, also in Dallas-Fort Worth. Welcome to the line of fire. Kevin, are you there? Sounds like someone's there, but I guess not. All right, let us go over to Milan in Kansas City, Missouri. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. Hey. Hey there. Um, so my question is about the spiritual gifts of First Corinthians. Obviously, you know, chapters 12 through 14. Mm -hmm. um, so my question is, so my wife and I are new to the gifts. We kind of, we've only been saved for like two years. Um, and we kind of had a bad experience with a super weird charismatic place and just, you understand, you've heard that story a million times. Yes, um, sir. Sorry but, about that. Yeah. But we have, uh, experienced the spiritual gifts in a biblical way and very powerful and it hit us like a, a freight train. So we are trying to learn and interpret, um, as well as we can and use them the way that the, the spirit wants us to. And so our question is, is when Paul says earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, and then he says, especially that you may prophesy because it builds up others and et cetera. Mm -hmm. right. um, when the Holy Spirit distributes a gift, like I, he's given me the gift of teaching, for example, it's insane. Like when I'm, when I'm teaching scripture, certain scriptures will just float in my head and he'll bring them to me and I can connect the pieces and mm -hmm. it's insane. I'm, I get in this zone and it's, it's crazy. Um, so if he's given me the gift of teaching, is that like, quote, my gift and, and like that he's distributed to me and I won't get tongues and I won't get prophecy because I've been given my individual gift 
like it says he distributes them individually or is it like anyone can get any gift whenever he wants you see what i'm saying right it's it's in between the two uh, in, in other words, the gift of teaching is, is one aspect of life in ministry, but you have now a whole other category. And I'm, I'm just going to use a totally natural illustration. Theologians don't get upset with me over this, but it's like if you go to a restaurant, okay, and you've got here's the category of appetizers and here's the category of main courses and here's the category of desserts. So the gift of teaching is, is or, or being called to be a teacher is is a particular category tongues prophecy healing that that's a different category in other words let's say someone is is gifted to be an evangelist well it could well be that with that evangelistic calling is also gift of healing because it ties directly in with with their ministry um so look at them as different categories the fact that you have a a, a grace to teach that's on you and a joy in teaching, you like to break things down in practical ways and love to study and learn, that's one category. The things that Paul lists in, in 1 Corinthians 12, he doesn't, lift, he doesn't list teaching there, does he? He doesn't list evangelism no. there, right? So that's, that's a different category. Just like someone's calling may be a pastor, but with that calling, there may be other gifts that, that God has given them. Maybe that pastor also operates in the gift of faith. And, and they, he can take on these massive impossible projects and have vision to transform a city that seems utterly ridiculous, and yet gift of faith operates in him. So look at those aspects, pastor, teacher, evangelist, those kind of giftings as, as one category. And then these others as another category. However, there's, there's overlap. They're all graces from God. So uh, I've spoken in tongues since January 24th, 1972. God's used me and some other gifts with some regularity. And then there are aspects of my life in terms of, of being a, a prophetic wake-up call to the church and having a teaching ministry, being an evangelist to my Jewish people. So there, you know, the, we function in different things at different times. But I would pray always, God, manifest in my life what you see best, what fits best to, to maximize your kingdom work. Get the maximum glory through me. And because the, the Corinthians were so into tongues, he had to really urge them, hey, prophecy is more important because that speaks to others. And if you're delivering messages and tongues in public, no one's helped. That's for your private prayer and edification. So there are different views about tongues also. In other words, there is the view that when we're baptized in the spirit, that we can now potentially speak in tongues or that's the, the initial sign, but not everyone is gifted to deliver messages in tongues or speaking tongues publicly. There are others who say the tongues are for some, not for others. I would say, Father, give me everything you have so I can make the maximum impact for you. It's not up to us to say, okay, I'm going to operate in this gift today or that gift today, or I can do this. Or I can. It's just whatever I want. It's whatever God wants. But I, as a coworker, mm -hmm. he's calling us to seek him. So Lord, use me. If, if you choose to use me to prophesy, Lord, that's wonderful. Whatever gift, whatever you want to manifest through me for your glory and your sovereign will, because we are told to pursue these things, do it for your purposes. And then just trust that things will flow naturally. And, and I remember many, many years ago reading a testimony of a brother, a pastor who was one of the early megachurch pastors that ended up with a network of hundreds of thousands of believers that he oversaw. And in some of his stories, you heard about miraculous healings and him having words for people 
and miracles taking place. And he said he really asked God to, to give him the gift of healing, but God never did. And I thought, wow, you had all those things happening. He goes, and his answer was, no, no, that's like a trickle. But he said he operated, he had gifts of faith and administration. And that's what he flowed in. And when I went to his home country and visited his church one day, I was floored. It's like, you better believe these are gifts of faith and administration. So he was used in the other things, but that, that was not really who he was. So when you have one of these gifts operating, it really flows through you. It becomes part of who you are. It's a very natural thing that happens. Whereas anyone in the spirit could potentially see the sick healed. Anyone in the spirit potentially could have a word of prophecy, but that doesn't mean the gift is operating. All right. So hopefully that's helpful. Okay. Because like we call, yeah. Go ahead. sorry. Yeah. We call some like prophets. So does that mean, you know, like, you know, like modern day prophets, like not just, I got an occasional prophecy from the Holy spirit. Like, yeah. yeah. So, so what it, exactly. So that's what we would refer to as fivefold or fourfold ministry. Ephesians four beginning in verse eight, that Jesus appoints in the body until we reach full maturity some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So that is a life calling. That is not just a gift you operate. Okay. That is who you are. So everyone can evangelize. Timothy is told, do the work of an evangelist, but he was not an evangelist. When, when I'm with an evangelist, like, like you know, one said, an evangelist preaching to, to a meeting of all believers, that's hell for an evangelist. An evangelist preaching, and no one is in the audience to save, that's heaven to an evangelist. So it, this the same thing. Anyone can teach. Elders, Paul said, should be apt to teach, but not everyone has the calling of teacher. Everyone can be a shepherd, but not everyone's called to be a pastor. So that is now a life-consuming thing, a life-controlling calling. It, it's part of who you are and it's your overall outlook in life flows out of that as well. Hey, thank you for the questions. And as you continue in the word and prayer, I'm sure you'll continue to grow in all these ways. God bless. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us. Hey, we are now looking actively to expand our radio outreach around the nation. Uh, obviously, it's not going to be a 1,000 stations overnight, but we have an aggressive plan. We are full of faith. This is something God has burden me to pray for for many 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 years because i know it is time that god's given us a mission god's given us a message and together we can see america rocked we can see the church get healthy we can see the nation change our role one one person among many one ministry among many our role our contribution so one great way that you can help with our radio expansion and bless your own life with with wellness as well is to go to Trivita.com, check out the great wellness supplements there, Trivita.com, and use the code BROWN25, capital B, BROWN25. You get 25% off your order. You can get monthly subscriptions, get the discount, and remember 100% of your first order is donated 
to our line of fire fund to expand across the nation and all future orders, Trivita will give more than a tithe back to what we are doing. So it's a great way as we get on new stations, introduce new listeners. It's a great way to partner together and make sure you look at your own life, lifestyle. Yeah, it all starts with personal lifestyle, healthy eating, healthy living. Check out these supplements as well, Trivita.com or call 800 771 That's 800 771 Tell them Dr. Brown sent you. So not only will you enjoy the, the benefit of these supplements, you'll be helping us strategically. It's, it's in process. I mean, stations are being spoken to, and we could be on the radio in a station near you very soon. So it's all unfolding. Okay, let us go to... Uh, our buddy Eddie in Connecticut. Yes, sir. What's on your mind? Doc, Dr. Brown, how you doing today? Uh, doing great, thanks. Coming up. Real quick, two real quick points. One was where it says, I guess in Hebrews, that Jesus was tempted in all points like we are, but yet he didn't sin. Mm-hmm. So I just said, you're, you're telling me something that, like, what does that mean? He's God. Of course he didn't sin. We're going to, we make the mistakes, but you're saying God didn't make the mistake. I'm trying to get, what do you mean by that? Like, I'm not like, am I shocked? Oh, he didn't sin. He's God. Of course he didn't sin. It's almost like saying, Dr. Brown, Eddie, and Jesus ran a mile. They're both breathing. They're dying, breathing at the end, and Jesus ain't breathing at all. Of course not. He's God. He's going to be, he's not the same as us, is what I'm saying. So I got a question for you. I got a question for you. Yes. Does the Bible ever say he was hungry? Yes. Does the Bible ever say he was sleeping? Yes. Okay, why? Well, that's what I'm trying to decipher. The, how do you yeah, split? because he, he was also f- right. He was also fully human, so he's fully God and fully human. And as a human right. being, he was tempted. Now, as God, it's true he never sinned. But the point right. is not that he never sinned. We know he never sinned. The point is that he understands what it is to experience temptation. Look, when, right. when let's let's just say before you were saved, you were tempted to do something wrong. And you're trying to fight it and fight it. Your heart beating. It's like, oh, I, I got to have this drink. And you do it. Now you get saved and you get tempted the same way. It's like, oh, it's like, no, I'm not going to do it. And you don't do it. You, the temptation was real. Even though you didn't sin, the temptation is real. So, so the Gospels are, are, are telling, excuse me, the Hebrews is telling us that he understands. He can, we know that he can relate to life in this world because he lived here. Right. You know, it's just like anything you've experienced in life. You've got a friend that's gone through a divorce and you'd gone through a divorce like, man, I understand. Or, yeah, you lost your, your, your son. I lost my... There's an understanding having lived through it. So he was here mm-hmm. as a human being, experienced joy and sorrow and pain, was tired, could be tempted. But because he is God, he never sinned, yet he can relate. He understands because he's been here with us and suffered with us. Great answer, Dr. Brown. And my, and my next quick one was this. We talked about, and greater works will you do. Yeah. He that believes in me, do the works I do, and greater. And I'm saying, okay, anybody see anything lately uh, anybody in history? I don't know. I didn't see it. And I'm not saying there's a doubt and putting unbelief, but I'm just being honest, saying anybody see anything lately greater than Jesus did? I didn't yeah. see nothing. Yeah, so, the, again, uh, a good, fair question. There are some who claim well, that was just for the apostles, but no, it's, it's a universal promise, John 14, 12. Whoever believes in me, study it out. Look up the Greek, look at that phrase, you'll see it whenever it occurs, it's a universal promise. Whoever believes in me, 
The works that I do will he do also, and greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. That is something that we should say, okay, the same works. So obviously we're not dying for people's sins, okay? Not that, but the miraculous works, that's what it's talking about in context. That we should expect to see, not every day, but over the course of our lives or through the church as a whole, we should expect to see miracles of healing, miracles of deliverance, because Jesus did those. We should expect to see the same things and even things greater. So someone says, well, look, you're talking to more people on radio than Jesus talked to in his lifetime. No, it's not greater. Anyone can do that. But Peter's shadow healed the sick. Or Peter preached a message and 3,000 people were converted on the spot. Neither of those things happened through the ministry of Jesus on the earth. So God continues to work around the world. Check out the book by Randy Clark, Eyewitness to Miracles. Eyewitness to Miracles by Randy Clark or Craig Keener, Miracles. There's a two-volume one. That's a heavy, big, heavy read. There's just one volume in paperback, Miracles, where he just documents miraculous accounts. So around the world, God is doing amazing things. But I personally believe we should see even more here in our own lives, even in America. So that to me is not a condemning pressure, but an invitation to keep believing because it's the Holy Spirit doing the work not us. Hey, as always, thanks for your question. Hey, real quick, last night I was calling some of our, our team members to discuss some things, and they had uh, three couples over, some of our oldest and best friends. We've worked together for 25-plus years, and she'd given them each a copy of my brand-new book, Why So Many Christians Have Left the Faith. You say, it's out already? Well, only through us. It's, it's not out to the general public till next month, but she'd given them copies, and I was so glad it and as I was on speakerphone with everyone, because they were all there, um, one of the wives said, I was, I was hoping you'd write a book on this subject. The whole issue of deconstruction. And people wondering, is the Bible really true? Can we really trust it? Is the church reliable? And what should we do with these things? So it's, it's, a, it's an eye-opener, but it's super practical, edifying, helpful. Why so many Christians have left the faith? So let me give you a, a different special number. If you'd like to get a signed Numbered copy, this is a pre-order exclusively through our ministry. A signed numbered copy. It's also a way to help us expand our outreach as well. Call 800-538-5275. 800-538-5275. It's also 800-5385, excuse me, 5385-ASK. Or go to the website and go to askdrbrown.org, click on store, and you can go ahead and order Get as many copies pre-ordered as you want. My joy to sign them and send them out as soon as I get back home from being on the road. All right, do I have time for one more question? Let's go to Lana in Los Angeles. All right, we just lost Lana. Um, but she wanted to know if the Israeli government has recognized the Armenian genocide. And that is a question that I'm going to look up. Israeli government and then Armenian genocide and see if this is something officially recognized. How Israel, ah, okay. So this is, the story here is from over a year ago. And this is a left, left, strongly left-leaning publication on Aretz. How Israel quashed efforts to recognize the Armenian genocide to please Turkey decades before the year. Okay, so this is going back in the summer of 82. All right, so this is apparently something in the past, and uh, I'm not sure what's changed with that. So 
uh, I will have to, I'll have to get current on this. This is an older uh, article here. So it's not aware I wanted to, to find out uh, on the fly here with you. So I, I can't answer that in terms of, uh, okay, one more. Why is Israel not yet recognized? The, uh, Israel's failure to recognize the Armenian genocide is indefensible. These are all Jewish publications, all Jewish publications from within the last few years, some within Israel saying, uh, why hasn't Israel recognized the Armenian genocide yet? So I, I have to look into that. I was not aware of that. I don't, uh, but this is obviously a controversy that Israelis are saying, why hasn't it been recognized? Has, has that been addressed? Not sure what's happened. And Israel and Turkey are not friends now. There would be no reason that Israel would say, well, we want to suppress the evil things that Turkey did uh, in, the, in, the, in the horrific Ar Armenian genocide. But I have to look into that. This could be a, a, um, a blemish on Israel. And as a friend of Israel, you, you address issues. The fact that I am 100% convinced that it is God who brought the Jewish people back to the land doesn't mean that I agree with everything Israel does or that, that if Israel has a certain policy with the Palestinians that I automatically side with the Israelis and against the Palestinians because I believe that God brought the Jewish people back to the land. No, I, I could believe God brought a couple together as husband and wife and tell them they're going in the wrong direction or doing wrong things. I can believe God called you to, to plant a church and tell you you're making serious mistakes. So as a friend, we tell the truth and we call things out. So if there is an issue here and a blemish, then uh, I just need to dig into it and discover what's going on so I can address it. And please just make this appeal because we've got a few seconds left. Let's make an appeal to you. Just because Israel is not perfect does not mean that God has not brought the Jewish people back to the land any more than the fact that the church is not perfect means that God has not saved us and called us with a purpose. Hey, if couldn't get to your question, you can always write to us at askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. God bless. Another program powered by the Truth Network.